This is episode 13 with Hanming Yang, the founder and CEO of Alike. Welcome to Asian Tech Leaders. My name is Justin Peng, and each week we share insights from Asian tech leaders to help inspire and guide you to reach your full potential. Thanks for spending some time with me today, and let's get started. Hanming Yang is the CEO and founder of Alike a dating app for the modern North American Asian. On this episode of Asian Tech Leaders, I chat with Hanming about his upbringing as a Korean immigrant to Canada, how his background in film helped prepare him to launch his own company, and the importance of mental health. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and let's get started. Hey Hanmin, how are you? I'm good, thanks Justin. Good, good, doing? good. Thanks for joining me today oh, on the my podcast. Pleasure. My pleasure. Um, really excited to catch up, so thought it'd be great to start with um, sharing a little bit more about what you're working on with Alike. Yeah, so Alike is a video dating app for the Asian community that goes beyond text and images and allows the user to see their matches personality, hear them speak, and know what cultural background they're from. Um, Should I go on? Yeah, yeah, please. So I think the status quo of dating apps that's available out there today doesn't address the biggest problems that the Asian North American community shares, which is, uh, for one, Asian fetish. That's a common problem for a lot of women. And two, uh, not being able to decipher uh, exactly what cultural background they're from. And I talk about this because there's a big gap um, in culture, identity, and values, and lifestyle between what I call old immigrants and new immigrants. And you know, I have to preface it by saying there's nothing wrong with being an immigrant. I'm an Im immigrant myself. But there's such a big gap when you grew up here uh, with a certain culture value and you're actually traumatized. You inherit a certain trauma of uh, culture because you get one culture from your household and another set of culture and ideology from school and mm -hmm. outside and uh, it impacts your sense of identity in a deep, profound way. Mm -hmm. So we try to meet, I think we connect best when we meet others like ourselves. And when you just group Asians together, it's such a, a diverse group. Mm. Yeah, so that's what I like is trying to do, find, find, help you find others like yourself. Mm. And in terms of the user, is it, um, only meant for North American Asians to use? Like, how should, how should one think about whether or not they're the right audience um, to use the app? Yeah, so it is for all of Asians in, in the Asian diaspora, hmm. Asians outside of Asia. Asians outside of Asia, yeah. got it. But we are yeah. launching the app specifically in North America first. Mm, and then we'll probably it. expand to Australia and the UK. So what's the um, stage of where the app's at now? Is it still being developed? Is there a, a beta out there for folks to test if they want to? We're at very, very early stage. Uh, we just have a prototype, and I'm in the process of looking for a technical co-founder to mm. develop the minimal viable product mm. right now. Got it. Yeah. And curious, was this idea spawned out of a personal problem that you're facing, or uh, uh, was yeah. it something you observed more broadly? No, I don't think one could come to this problem without having lived through it firsthand. Mm. 
I was born in Korea. I immigrated to Canada uh, at the age of eight with my family. And I think all my life, I felt like I didn't belong either in either place, anywhere. You know, as an adult, when I go to Korea, they call me Canadian. And when I'm in Canada, they call me Korean, of course. Mm. And uh, I always have this lack of sense of belonging. And I'm always in search for that. Mm. And I always notice that when I meet somebody, and they don't always have to be Asian. When I meet, they could be like European immigrants. I meet them and we really click. And then afterwards, I'll often find out, oh, they're also 1.5 generation, mm. specifically 1.5, because that's what I am. And for those who aren't uh, familiar with that term, can you articulate a bit more? Yeah, so a first generation is someone who immigrated to um, a, a different country and by the American government's definition, a second generation is someone who was born in that country. A 1.5 would be someone who immigrated to that country before the age, the, the developmental age, mm. which is before seven, um, between seven and 12. Mm. Yeah. Got it. And um, share a little bit more about your background. So you said you were born in Korea. What are kind of the earliest memories you have of your childhood? Um, and the transition <clears throat> moving from Korea to Canada? You know, uh, I'll start by using the word trauma because that's what it is. When I began this project, I, I didn't use that word, but then I actually, in the process of researching the dating space and going out with Asian women, I, I met a poet and we were talking about this and she used the word trauma and I thought it was so accurate. Mm. It is exactly what that is. The developmental years between 7 and 12 are so sensitive and uh, it's a big impact to have everything you know change and that has a big impact on you and you're trying to make sense of the world. So I, yeah, it was difficult for me definitely and my parents were away working a store most of the time so I grew up watching TV and movies, and uh, of course, uh, you know, it was all mostly white protagonists, <laughs> and I loved Fresh Prince, yeah. uh, but you know, you, you never saw Asian characters, yeah. and when you did, you know, they were awful, <laughs> they were yeah. awful. One of the first Asian characters that I saw was Mr. Miyagi mm -hmm. in The Karate Kid, mm -hmm. and Though I was happy to see someone like myself, I was a bit uncomfortable because that's not how I saw myself. Yeah. The way that he was depicted, he, he didn't speak English well. He spoke with an accent. He was one-dimensional. Dim, one um, you know, he caught flies with chopsticks, and that's <laughs> what he was known for. And I don't know, it, it, he, he wasn't a cool character like Marty McFly, mm -hmm. French Prince, Ghostbusters people, you know, all the yeah. people that I admired and wanted to be. Um, so that had a negative impact on how I saw myself. Mm. Do you remember the uh, Margaret Cho um, sitcom that was that oh, memorable yeah, for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like for me, I think when I was growing up, that was one of the most like memorable moments because it's like, wow, it's just like, a sitcom about an Asian family on, yeah. I think, ABC or some network channel. Yeah. Um, obviously, it wasn't very long-lived, but I remember up until that point, it's like, mm. 
you didn't really just see like a normal Asian American Asian Canadian family yeah, yeah. on TV. What was right? it called? Uh, it's like American Girl or some, all American yeah something girl. like that. I think yeah. All American Girl. Yeah, and I love yeah, that they yeah, called yeah. it that. Yeah, they didn't call it the Korean Girl. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. she's she's American. Yeah, 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 yeah. And what are your thoughts of in terms of you know where or how Asians are portrayed in the media now in 2020? Because oh, there are a lot of you know milestones and highlights to yeah. to point out now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've come such a long way. You know, where do you start? You know, um, the Marvel Asian superhero coming out, what, next mm-hmm. year or this yeah. year? Uh, the first all-Asian male ca- um, cast member on SNL. Oh, yeah. Aquafina's rise to stardom. Yeah. Uh, so many, uh, Ken Jeong, Ronnie Chang, yeah. An- uh, Andrew Yang. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I feel like there is a movement that's happening, an, o- an Asian awakening. Mm-hmm where Asians are starting to realize the value of their identity and their culture and celebrate it. Yeah. They're, we're tired of seeing negative depictions of ourselves and standing in the sidelines and doing nothing mm. about it. We're saying, hey, you know what? I, I'm sick of this. We have to keep this PG, right? We can edit <laughs> anything out, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sick of seeing this. My story is unique and it's valid and there are others like me and you know there's a reason to celebrate it. Yeah. Yeah. And is a lot of that kind of um, motivation and drive one of the main reasons why you decided to create a like? Just like that desire to create something kind of like for us, by us, if you will? Yeah, well, yeah. I think I've always been passionate about Asian representation. Mm-hmm. It, it, I had a big scar on my sense of identity uh, ever since childhood. Um, and, you know, I think I go, went through life trying to reconcile with it and find a way to deal with it. I was in grad school a couple of years back, and I was working on... Uh, a project uh, that I thought was a great idea. It seemed like a Pixar type feature film. So it was about a migratory bird who decides to leave that path to forge their own path in life. So I was like, oh, this is cool. And I realized later on that's also an immigrant story. Mm. So, But I was talking to my, my advisor about it and I not only had to write the script, but I also had to write a 40 to 80 page dissertation on it. Mm. And I, I told him, you know, I like this idea, but I don't know if I can write 40 to 80 academic pages on it. I, I just don't have that passion. Yeah. And he asked me, well, what are you passionate about? And just off the top of my head, I said, the way that Asian men are represented in mm-hmm. media. Yeah. And he said, well, write about that. Mm. Yeah. So that led to me developing an animation series for adults called Asians Anonymous. And it's about a white Hollywood rom-com star who accidentally becomes an Asian man uh, after a plastic surgery mm. disaster. <laughs> and it went on to do really well. <laughs> it, it, it got a lot of positive yeah. feedback. Uh, I ended up winning first place at Toronto Animation Arts Festival mm. International, and it got me into the meeting rooms of all the major animation studios mm. in Toronto. And I guess this is 
an extension of that project. I, I, I care about this. I don't know. I can't stop. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting too because you know you studied media and film yeah. um, academically, and then you're now effectively starting a technology company to um, help bring people together. Yeah. What kind of inspires you about that transformation? Because it, it, it is quite a shift, right? Yeah. Away from at least what you formerly studied. Mm-hmm. And what has kind of been scary since, you know, you're a few months into it? Well, I do see this as an extension of media. Mm-hmm. The company name I was thinking, I haven't incorporated yet, uh, but I'm thinking of calling it Identity Media. Mm. And Alike would be its first product. Uh, but it... M- Media comes in so many different forms now, yeah. and technology is just a part of our life now. Yeah. We can't ignore it. Mm. And there's traditional media, like film and television, but now we're spending more and more time listening to podcasts yeah. and surfing apps mm-hmm. and dating apps. So so for you, it's a natural extension and just absolutely. like another platform, right, exactly. to tell a story. Exactly. Yeah. And this is, so I'm creating, what I, the way that I see it is I'm creating a platform to allow a North American Asians to tell their own story. Mm. So the unique feature of Alike is going to be video. Whereas the status quo dating apps today only have text and visuals, text and images, mm. um, that doesn't suffice in allowing us to convey our personality and individuality. Right. But if we have video, we can communicate so much more. Mm not just language proficiency, but character, emotional disposition, confidence, sense of humor. And our story is embedded in our and us, mm-hmm. in who we mm-hmm. are. Not just the words we say, yeah. but the way we, we carry ourselves. Mm-hmm. And video allows that. So yeah. I'm hopefully I'm trying to give a platform for um, people like us to yeah, tell their own story. Yeah. And this will kind of manifest itself through both um, a user's profile, so imagining like a video profile, mm-hmm. not just a picture and words, mm-hmm. and then also with messaging. Are those kind Absolutely. of the two ways? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So we, I actually decided to get rid of, now we're getting to the technicals of a dating mm-hmm. app, but I actually decided to get rid of the written profile because mm. uh, have you ever used a dating app before? Not in a no. long okay. time. <laughs> so, you know, most dating profiles come with uh, a number of images and a written profile of yourself. Yeah. The problem with the written profile is that most people don't know themselves well enough to write something descriptive or helpful. Mm-hmm. Number one, most people don't know themselves well enough. Number two, even if you do know yourself well enough, psychologically, emotionally, you have to be a good writer to convey that in an interesting way. Yeah. So these are huge challenges for people. And what people, what most people end up writing is, I love to eat food, yeah. laugh, spend time with my family, <laughs> travel. I love going out, but I love staying in just as much. That's everybody. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's not very helpful. Yeah, yeah. So I decided to scrap that part and just let you speak at on video in response to certain prompts. Some video pro- uh, question prompts? Yes. Oh, okay. And some of ours will be Asian-centric, like, I know I'm Asian when. 
Do you have an answer for that? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I love chips, and I like to eat chips using chopsticks because I don't want to get my fingers dirty. I don't. Wow, that's good. that's a good one. Yeah, I don't want to lick my fingers. I think that's gross. So I eat it with chopsticks. That's great. Yeah. There, I mean, no wonder your profile would be amazing because. Look, you got a great answer. <laughs> um, anyway, I, I'd like to switch gears a little bit to just mm-hmm. talking a little bit more about family and parents because I think in our culture, um, our relationship with our parents is extremely important. Their opinions and uh, values are, are very core to um, us as Asians. Yeah. So could you speak a little bit more about, mm-hmm. you know, what kind of role your parents had in your life growing up and who who they kind of showed up as for you? Yeah, you know, I, I'd say my parents were very similar to the typical Asian parents that we often hear about. Um, they were, you know, we're immigrants mm-hmm. and they had to work really hard to provide for us. So their first priorities were financial. Yeah. And um, they stressed the importance of academic excellence. Mm. And there wasn't much time or space for conversations about emotions. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's so important. So we grew up not knowing how to be affectionate to one another. Um, And I hope it's okay for me to be like really honest and say, you know, I, I went through a, a devastating divorce and it wasn't until I went through that that I discovered self-esteem mm-hmm. and the importance of it. And uh, I feel like once I discovered self-esteem, I had been living in a dark cave all my life and mm-hmm. then I finally stepped out and saw the light. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I don't know where I was going but the emotional intelligence was never instilled or taught to us. And I think that's just an important aspect Mm, mm. that should be taught. On self-esteem is kind of, it sounds like one of the key revelations for you was number one, like the importance of it and that you kind of need to nurture it. And then I guess secondly, getting to more tactics, are there things that you found really helpful to help build up your self-esteem? Because even in the professional setting, forget about personal, um, I do feel like Asians are more likely to suffer from imposter syndrome mm-hmm. and feel like they're not, they don't deserve to be where they are. Yeah. And that has to do with self-esteem. Yeah. So are there things or kind of, uh, you know, tactics that you, you use to actually help build that confidence in oneself? Yeah, well, there's this book, called The Six Pillars of Self-Esteem by mm. Nathaniel Brandon. And that's a book that I discovered mm-hmm. while I was going through uh, my divorce. And that taught, that introduced the concept to me and taught me what it is. So I, I try to reread that or listen to it on audio mm-hmm. uh, at least once a year. Yeah, um, And that keeps me pretty grounded. I try to stay away from hype mm. and pretension and things like fame, money, things we know aren't really yeah. what makes us happy. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, how does that translate to your involvement in social media and like how engaged you are? Yeah, that, yeah, it's, that's, that's funny. There's because, a linkage with like right. mental health, self-esteem. <clears throat> Absolutely, yeah. Oh man, social media is a tool, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And it's a double-edged sword. There's so many benefits from it, but at the same time, if it overwhelms your life, it can have negative consequences on your mental health. Um, so I. Yeah, I have to be careful. I actually don't have a lot of social uh, media presence. Mm. I'm on Facebook because I have to be for my business. Mm. I actually had deleted it a long time ago and got back on it for this business. I, I use it a, as a tool. And even now, I sometimes encounter um, devastating feedback, Yeah, uh, yeah, which cripples me sometimes. So I, I just keep balance. And try to maintain balance. Yeah, yeah. It's um, a tool. Yeah, I, I, it's something I've been working on too. Right, mm -hmm. it was super powerful. Um, you can get a lot of value out of it, connecting yeah. with people, finding new inspiration and ideas. But Absolutely. if I think the moment you realize or get a lot of your self worth from what's happening on the platform, yeah. like it's it's a slippery slope. Right? Yeah, and so. I think it's important to address addiction. Mm -hmm. Oh man, um, you know what, even though I say I'm off social media, that's not 100% true. I can't go a day without spent going on Reddit. Mm -hmm. And I, I almost did Do you contribute as well or do you largely like read I feeds? Do, okay. I do, oh, okay, 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 yeah. And I spend hours on Reddit each day. I think it's the first thing I do when I wake up. Yeah. Um, actually, that's not true. I meditate and stuff, but mm. after all that. and. There's a certain level that I, I feel like I am addicted, and it's being it's really unhealthy. I'm I find myself surfing it as a way to dis procrastinate and mm -hmm. distract myself from what I should be doing, or distract myself from the feelings and thoughts that I'm having. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you, you mentioned meditation. Can you talk a little bit more about what that practice looks like for looks like for you? Is it a uh, daily habit or is it much more um, ad hoc in terms of when you do it and how long you do it? I try to, to do it on a daily basis so I'll, I'll get up and then the first thing I'll do is turn off my alarm and then mm. sit and meditate for 30 minutes mm. and then go exercise for about 50 minutes and then start my That's day. Great. Yeah. That's great. Uh, is it meditation guided? Do you use an app? Do you just uh, yeah, self-guide yourself? I, I've been a long time meditator so I don't follow, I don't use apps or guided meditations. Yeah. Uh, I'll do a little plug-in for Vipassana. Have mm. you ever heard of Vipassana? That's a type of It's a type of meditation. meditation yeah. Yes, yeah. So it's also an, there's also a Vipassana organization that's wonderful. They offer free meditation programs and courses all over the world. It's mm. purely run on donations and by volunteers. Uh -huh. It's not a money-grabbing scheme at all. <laughs> I discovered it when I was in Nepal and traveling. I I had my passport stolen on my way to India, so oh. I had to spend like so many days to wait for a new passport. And I heard of this thing where you go and you don't speak or talk to anyone mm. or make eye contact, contact for 10 days. I was like, oh man, that sounds really cool. That sounds like a nice getaway. <laughs> yeah. So I did that and it's, it's wonderful. It changes uh, how you see yourself in the world. Mm. And it, you know, whenever I'm, able to do meditation I just feel like it creates a lot more space between stimulus and response yeah, yeah. and like the the days that I don't have some mindfulness mindfulness moments mm -hmm. 
uh, it's much more easier for me just to be reactive and like you know right um, less thoughtful and right that's so yeah. true yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely yeah. it's taking it I think um, there's importance in taking a pause mm. from the everyday grind yeah and whatever you're doing if you don't take that pause and detach yourself from it uh, you're too involved right yeah and it, it might overwhelm you mm. yeah but I guess also as you know the founder and CEO of a company there's there also must just be a tremendous amount of expectations whether it's from yourself or outsiders and how do you manage that that stress of you know a lot of your success professionally and personally is it's kind of tied to how mm-hmm. this venture does mm-hmm. yeah. um, have you found effective ways to detach detach I from that? I found my own uh, techniques, but I, I don't know if it's helpful for others. And I don't even know if my own techniques are the best ones for me. Um, it's it is definitely stressful, and it's an mm. emotional roller coaster. And uh, when I have huge setbacks, uh, I give myself that time and space to sulk, mm. to cry if I need to. Um, I allow myself to procrastinate and get over it. Mm. If I need that time to get over it, I I, le- I give myself that time. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's that's how I handle it. Yeah. I don't know if it's the best way, but yeah. yeah. And for for people who might be kind of thinking about a career switch, you know, if maybe going from a big company to a small company or starting their own venture. Yeah. What words of advice would you have to help them think through whether or not something is is the right kind of opportunity to act on? Yeah, so I'll, I'll probably give a, a, a quite a different adv- answer to what most people would say because I'm suspicious of general blanket j- term advices uh, because everyone is unique. Mm-hmm. And that's how I see it, and every circumstance is different. And I think the most powerful advice are the ones that are specific to that individual, to that time and place and situation. Mm -hmm. So I would say to really listen to yourself. And when I say listen, it's not the thoughts that you're just listening to because we fool ourselves so many times in our lives and our thoughts can lead us the wrong way. But I would say listen to your emotions. Mm. Yeah, um, what's your body telling you? How, yeah. how are you feeling? Mm. So before I started this company, I was working at an animation studio and I was growing increasingly depressed and unhappy with the direction that my life and career were heading in. And I found that I was getting sick on certain days. Um, I don't usually get sick because I exercise almost every day. Mm. And there was a time where I couldn't get out of bed for four days. Wow. Yeah, and I, it was weird because even when I get sick, I'm you know well enough to get up and make my own yeah. lunch and such, but I, I couldn't get out of mm-hmm. bed for four days. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important to listen to emotions and your body, listen mm-hmm. to yourself. And pause, take that pause. Yeah. And I love that advice 
But I also feel like it's countercultural, right? Yeah. In this age where there's so much data and everything、mm-hmm. can be optimized and measured and managed. Yeah. The advice to listen to your feelings、yeah. more or listen to your body, which in a lot of ways, like it's somewhat subjective. I love、yeah. it and I, I, I subscribe to that too. But、mm-hmm. I, I just want to point out that it's so countercultural because. You know, somebody who exercises、um, like you, there's a point in time where I was so obsessed with my smartwatch. Oh my, how many,、mm. what did I do today? How's my heart rate? How many calories did I burn? How many、right. miles did I run? And it wasn't until maybe you know, a year ago when I was able to detach myself from just like the obsessiveness of tracking and optimizing, right, where I was like, right, right. well, that's like. Some men- like a addiction and mental health issue here.、Yeah. I was really stressed out about、yeah. being healthy, which is like、right. kind、getting、of an oxymoron. Exactly.、Yeah. And it wasn't until maybe you know, six to nine months ago where I'm like,、mm-hmm. you know what? I'm just going to ditch the watch and、yeah. listen to my body.、Yeah. I'm going to exercise when I feel like I want to, not、mm-hmm. when I should.、Yeah. And I'm going to stop running when I feel like. I don't want to run anymore. <laughs> and for me, it's, I found benefits not only physically, but more importantly,、Mentally. to one of the key themes I feel like from today is like the mental health, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. you're doing it for you,、yeah. not because of what you expect yourself to do or not because your smartwatch is saying yeah, you didn't,、yeah. didn't do it enough. So I、right. love the advice of like listen to your body and like tap into your emotions. Right, yeah, yeah.、Um, but is, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. You know, this connects to what you said earlier about what we inherit from our parents. I think we try to, we have a certain ima- self image、mm. and we try to live up to it. And it, it can be overwhelming if we're not honest with ourselves. Who created that self image? Yeah. Yeah. Am I that person because that's the person I genuinely want to become? Or, you know, it is a part of that. Societal expectations. Yeah. For me, a lot of before my divorce, I, I realized、uh, the ident- identity that I had formed for myself, I think 90% of it was inherited from my parents,、mm. what they wanted me to be. I just inherited it. Yeah.、Mm. And it wasn't, it, it didn't work out. Right. Yeah. And it was only when I hit rock bottom and, and lost everything that. I had worked towards、uh, that it was so liberating、mm. <laughs> because I realized, oh shit, I don't have to be that anymore. Right, because, right. Well, you know what? I didn't, that's not who I want to be anyway. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm finally free to become this person. Yeah. And this person loves himself.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, thank yeah. you for sharing that.、Yeah. I, I do feel like it's it, at the risk of, you know, Sounding、um, too over the top, that it is one of our most important jobs, especially as we're growing up in our teens, 20s, 30s, like however long it takes, to really know who you are and、yeah. also be aware of our ego and、yeah. the projections we create from ourselves, some,、yeah. some knowingly, but a lot of them are unconscious. that Are, are formed of who we are and who we think we are because、Absolutely. we're so controlled by that. Yeah. More than we know. Yeah. A、and、lot of it comes from media, too. Oh, yeah. Media, yeah, family, lots of influences. So、mm-hmm. I think, on, on kind of with that, kind of like、um, 
bring it to something more practical because media and you studied media and film like this is your mm-hmm. your um, subject matter uh, area of expertise how do you kind of filter what you expose your mind and brain to because yeah we are so susceptible as yeah. human beings to that mm-hmm. um, one of my challenges I feel like and maybe this is a symptom of being in the information age is I kind of want to I think we have a bias to just know we want to know about everything I want to read the news I want to read all these different perspectives and hopefully I will be wise enough to have a strong and thoughtful opinion of that Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day we're still very much formed and our emotions are very much dictated by the information that we let into our lives Um, what do you do if anything to manage and filter what you see and read and listen to well, we have so many hours in a day, and if we allow ourselves to be over, like consumed by media, there's no end. Mm. It's just endless, right? And especially now in the information age, there's a philosopher and author that I really look up to. His name is Alain de Botton, mm. and in one of his talks, he asks, "Are all this news, endless news, really good for us or not?" And he theorizes maybe it's not so good for us maybe we don't really need it maybe at this stage of our societal evolution maybe what we need to do is take a step back and get in touch with our emotions again Mm. and uh, I mean that's I think that's a ongoing theme with me and I've been talking about it a lot but because I'm somebody who's really in touch with their emotions and feelings I I gauge, does this make me happier? Mm. Or does this distract me? Yeah. Just that simple question. And then if it helps me and makes me happier, I'll pay attention mm. to it. If it doesn't, I'll let it go mm. and move on. And do you feel like you have a good distinction of whether or not it is truly making you happy versus, let's say, an ego hit? Because sometimes like, I find that... It's easy, like you said, to trick your mind to say, oh, this is good for you and this is why. Mm -hmm. But in reality, it's really just my ego wanting to feel good about myself for a little bit. Like, do you feel like you have a good distinction of like knowing, oh, this is actually really going to make me happy versus, you know, this is going to look really good when I tell other people that I did this or like look good to myself. Yeah, I'm sure I get tricked as just as much as anyone else. I mean, I, I find myself spending endless number of hours in a day surfing reddit and it's all (laughs) procrastination and distraction so i I fool myself just as well um but sometimes it feels really you know what does feel really good uh when i put out certain news uh, on or posts about a like on facebook or social Mm -hmm. media and it i get comments that reson that Mm. yeah that resonate that it resonated with people people saying oh you're doing really important work or Oh my God, this is amazing. I've been looking for something like this all my life. Uh, how can I get involved? Yeah. I want to help out. Here's my number. Please call me. I want to talk mm, to you. Mm, mm. That makes me feel really good. Mm, thank you. And it certainly boosts my ego. <laughs> Win-win. And I guess to kind of close it out, for those listening uh, who do have 
kind of a passion to support alike. Obviously, mm-hmm. you said you're working on the MVP, looking for a technical co-founder. Any other calls to action you'd want to share with people listening? Yeah, so please sign up if you're interested to become a beta test user at uh, www.alike.dating. Um, and yeah, subscribe to our, what, what, what are they, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram accounts. Yeah. <laughs> great. Thanks so much, Hanman. This yeah, is like super uh, inspiring and also great just to hear about your journey and like, um, you know, what you do to take care of your mental health because I feel like, especially as a founder, CEO, um, it's one of the most important things to, to take care of. So, um, thank you very much for having you. me. Great. It's, it's a great opportunity for me to discuss my journey. Thanks, Hanman. Thanks. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Asian Tech Leaders. Please share this with your friends and follow us and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting platform. Looking forward to our next conversation. And until then, take care.